Welcome to Good Stories. I am Joey Womack, founder of Goody Nation. And the next episode in this series is called We Do It For The Culture, powered by Butter ATL. And we're going to talk about the culture. We're going to talk about the culture. And so uh, first up, we have a few good folks. Uh, and... Let me kind of get this new banner up. And so this this uh, this session is powered really by Butter ATL. So it's split into two sections. First, we're going to hear from a few awesome individuals. And then we're going to shift over about 30 minutes in to hear from another set as well. So we have today with us at the moment, Kate Atwood and Deja, Deja Walker. So we're going to spend a little bit of time. Um, as we had the last person as well. Maya, hey, how's it going? So let's let's do a quick round of intros, uh, really before really before we kind of dive into your work a little bit more, right? And so, Kate, we'll, we'll kick it to you. We'll go, Kate, Deja, and then and then Maya. So, Kate, just tell a little bit, like, like one sentence description about who you are, um, your company, you know what it is, and then where you're checking in from. Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Kate Atwood. I am a founder, creator, uh, and currently working on a platform called Loco Plus, which is the first content platform for emerging video creators and filmmakers curated by local markets. We really believe that the future of the creator economy will be held down by the regional ecosystems of which these creators are emerging. So I'm very excited to be joining you, Joey, and my fellow panelists and talking more about the culture and how that will drive the creator economy if we're intentional about letting it do so. Awesome, awesome. Deja? Okay. Hi everyone, I'm Deja Walker. I currently serve as the operations manager and investment portfolio manager of Quality Control. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, Quality Control Music is the record label to home of artists like Lil Baby, City Girls, Lil Yachty, just to name a few. Um, what else? I'm based in Atlanta, where culture is born and bred, and I'm happy to be here today. Awesome. 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 Amazing. Hi, I'm Maya. I am the head of marketing for Clubhouse, the social audio app. We are a social network based on voice, um, where tons of interesting conversations with the most interesting people happen, happen every day. Um, I've been there since March, and I also just recently moved to Atlanta. I was in LA for the last... Oh, wow. um, seven years and now I'm an ATL Joe we haven't had a chance to talk about that but I am an ATL I wanted to be where the culture is and be a part of this like incredible moment that's happening in the city so happy thank to be you. here thanks for inviting me awesome, awesome. Right. Thanks. 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 welcome welcome to the city um so yeah so let's kind of get quickly into it I want to dig a little bit deeper into each of you all's work Kate I'll, I'll start back with you you know, what are you working on specifically? And, and honestly, like, like why and what, what are you seeing? Sure. I, I think I'll start a bit with my origin story. Having um, a lot of people in Atlanta may have known me for the work I did with Choose ATL and launching the first city-based streaming platform called SIA. And the reason I did that was because Atlanta, you know, is having this moment and certainly has always had this moment as being this culturally relevant um, kind of maverick in the world, but for the first time, we had the opportunity to really tether that, you know, back to the roots, of back to Atlanta and get credit for that. So we were having this kind of crazy emergence of tech and the film industry, but what I realized was that the power brokers at the table at this really important time were still not really listening to the independent content creators. They weren't really, you know, asking them what they needed and how we could move the creative industries forward so that more of them had distribution, had ownership, and ultimately had success in what was now being framed as the creator economy. So um, I got really passionate about that. I got really passionate about the opportunity that Atlanta had to create the new uh, pace setter for growth and development in this emerging content um, kind of chapter. And that's what Local Plus is doing. I mean, we don't talk a lot about local. There's a lot of, you know, framing around local right now that it's a fence, that there's really no relevancy for it. But we're really about kind of, and be bullish about that. And the thesis that, 
if we allow creators to launch and grow from the very place of which they are sourced creatively and culturally, we will actually unlock more potential and more revenue than we've ever seen in this industry. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, Deja, let's go into a little bit of your origin story. And I think you're, you're, you're unique, you know, part, you know, record label, part investment. I know you're also with HBC UVC as well. I mean, I think you are, and you heard me say this before, like you represent the future of what, what it looks like, like this intersection of multiple kind of spaces. So how'd you get into the space and why? Oh, I think you're on mute. Okay. There we go. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, like I said, my name is Deja. I'm originally from Chicago, born and raised. I transplanted to Atlanta to attend Spelman College. Um, I graduated from Spelman in 2019, so I'm not too far removed from undergrad. Um, during my senior year at Spelman, I started interning at QC. And then from there, upon graduation, I started working here full time and I've been here ever since. So I've been here for three years and now I kind of wear two hats doing operations and now in the role as the investment portfolio manager. And that kind of came about just because working closely with our artists, I saw the amount of deal flow and opportunity that would come their way as far as investment opportunities. But no one really being in a position to properly evaluate those opportunities or even having someone in the space to get them in on deals that could change their lives or deals that they can positively impact to be the next big thing. So once I kind of made that realization, I started doing my research and I came across venture capital and what it all means. And I kind of just fell in love with the, the concept of something that can change the world. And from there, I kind of just seek any opportunity or resource that I could find to educate myself on it. And now as the investment portfolio manager, it's my job to give all of the companies in our portfolio the value that they seek when they have a company like quality control on a cap table. Um, along within that journey, like you said, Joey, I was a fellow of HBCU VC, which was a very, very amazing program for me coming from an HBCU and not entering VC through the traditional route, being a part of HBCU. HBCU VC kind of gave me that technical traditional training that I felt like was needed for me, um, kind of just learning the bare bones of VC and knowing how to talk the lingo and things like that. Um, but here I am now. And like I said, I'm very excited. Um, this is definitely going to be a journey. Um, there has been its challenges of kind of just doing an overall pivot. Um, but luckily, there is still intersection and relation between the music industry and sports within the tech space. No, I love it. I love it. I mean, Maya, what, what, what's your story? I love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I'm a Midwest kid. Um, and I always wanted to be in entertainment and media and kind of at the intersection of all those things. Um, I was really fortunate that like my first real work experience was working for Oprah. Um, and I started as an intern on the Oprah show. Um, and I ended up working for her for almost a decade. And so I had the opportunity to work in, you know, syndication and on like the world's biggest talk show, global talk show, as well as the transition to the Oprah Winfrey Network, which is cable, um, O Magazine and publishing and all the things that, you know, she really touched. And so after doing that for a long time, I wanted to fly the nest and go see if I could be successful somewhere else. And so I went to Netflix and I was at Netflix um, right when Netflix was getting into original the original content business. And so I spent the last five years there prior to Clubhouse um, really building up their marketing and editorial strategy in the U.S. Um, and by the end around the world. Um, and, you know, working at Netflix really got me curious about working in technology um, because I think everything's converging. Um, and so media, entertainment, technology, I think in the, in the best case is all one thing. Um, and it's interesting, the like the through line, I think, of my experiences, because, you know, when Oprah had this ethos and her mantra and really her mission is to make sure that people feel like they matter and they feel like um, they're seen and they're heard. And I think Netflix was the opportunity to make sure people are seen and that their stories are reflected on on screen because, you know, there's so much research and data that shows the more that you see yourself, like it changes who you become and what you believe is possible for your life. And ironically, Clubhouse is about making sure people feel heard um, and have a platform to, um, you know, speak their voice and tell their stories and build community. And so 
What's interesting, I didn't really even know what I was getting myself into when I came to Clubhouse. It just sounded like an exciting opportunity. Um, I was employee number 15 in March, um, and we've now like 10 exercised the company. Uh, we're also in one of the most interesting, I think, spaces in, in social media with social audio, with every single tech platform also deciding that audio is important to them. Um, and so it's very exciting. It's very exhilarating. You know, we're also building something new. Um, and I think it's just, you know, when you're um, this stream is called We Do It For The Culture. You know, I'm like acutely aware that um, uh, when I think about culture, I think about black culture and that black culture has been really influential um, across every single dimension of thing that I've been a part of, whether that was working for Oprah, working for Netflix, um, who's the biggest distributor of black content on planet Earth. Um, and now Clubhouse, which is, um, I think, has really led the charge with like black creators and conversations around black culture. So um, I'm learning every day and it's really exciting. But I think there's there's so much opportunity um, to democratize voice and to to give everybody an opportunity to make sure that their voices are heard. No, I love, no, it. I love it. And I promise, and I promise we'll, we'll have, have uh, uh, a giving uh, giving there on the so um, let's talk about this thing around the, the convergence of, of media, entertainment and stuff like that, as, as, as you mentioned. Um, you know, Kate, I want to kick it back to you. I mean, so let's talk about where things are going again, going into 2022 or 2022, 23, 24, 25. Like, where do you all see this thing going? Um, Kate, um, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. So the, one of the big uh, kind of stats that's out there right now that keeps, you know, us at Loco Plus Awake is the fact that you have this explosive market now called the creator economy, which is basically promising ownership and democratized distribution to creators. Uh, it's valued at $104 billion, yet we now know that about 3% of the estimated 50 million content creators are earning the equivalent of a minimum wage. Like there's a lot of money that's not going to creators in the very economy that they've built. And so one of the things that we're really looking at is how can we break down those barriers, those the, the access points of distribution, of monetization, you know, they, as we build this bridge from web two with web three, you know, and, and, and tr really tracking a lot of that the big platforms will always play to that 3%. I mean, this isn't unique to creative industries. This is industries at large. When you have something that grows that fast, you know, and, and Maya, I'm such a fangirl. So like, it's awesome. I'm so glad you're in Atlanta now. Um, but you know, you have these tech platforms that accelerates everything. And what we have to be intentional about is making sure that that's great. Like we, we, we need those far-fetching, we need those, you know, leapfrog companies, but then you also need the companies that are building the infrastructure that can kind of build the bridges along the way. And I think that's what we really have the opportunity with in this new creator economy is to say, let's have those leapfrog companies, like set the new standards, set the new reach, and then let's have infrastructure and ecosystems that can make sure that more, in our case, creators are brought along and able to monetize and to have a successful career doing what they love to do, uh, which is make content. No, nah, I love it, Deja. I love, love to kick it. Look at love to kick it to you next. But before I do this, I just want to say that we're gonna do like a big like group like meetup here, like maybe at the gathering spot and stuff like that. Welcome my editor to Atlanta and stuff. But but Deja, your thoughts on where things are going? You know, in this media entertainment, you know, kind of music space, twenty twenty two two and beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually very excited because I feel like there's gonna be disruption. Um, COVID has definitely put a new perspective on how the music industry can and should operate. One thing that I'm very excited about is the how live performances will look. So before, my perspective was everyone's excited to be back outside and they want to go to shows. But now as I educate myself more on Web3 and the metaverse and things like that, I think that's what the future of live music will look like. Um, I'm very excited for the metaverse. I know there are some people that are scared, some people that, you know, they don't even know what it is. But personally, I'm very excited about it. And I'm excited to see, like I said, how it disrupts what we know as music and entertainment and anything within that vertical. 
And another thing that I kind of predict for the future is the the value that NFTs will have for artists and their music. Um, I think everyone is kind of picking up on the concept and the idea, but it's still very, very early. And I'm excited to kind of see that be the norm for artists to share and create their art. Mm, no, I love it. I love it. Maya? Yeah, I mean, when I think about like Web3 and the metaverse and creator economy, I'm still learning so much. Like, I think it's really interesting. It's fascinating to me. It's still really nascent and it's early. Um, I think that I really agree um, with um, the, the idea that it's unfortunate to me that like we have like a, a, a we don't really have a middle class for creators. And so, you know, I think that's something that we think about all the time is like, how do we, we're thinking about monetization and like, how are we going to create tools and things for people to be successful? Um, but how can we do it in a way that does feel like it's fair and people have an opportunity to be successful? Um, when I think about our space in particular in social audio, I think even the, the term social audio, people don't know what that means. Um, and our um, evolution as a company has really transitioned. When I started in March, we were invite only on iOS. Like we weren't even on Android. We haven't expanded globally. We didn't have DMs or search or, you know, all of these new features that we have today. I think the most exciting one to me is replays, which is our version of recordings, which is taking the live nature of Clubhouse and making it accessible over time. And, and people can start to build a library. And so, you know, the thing that I think about and what keeps me up at night is I think we're headed towards this world where Clubhouse can be almost like the YouTube of audio in one sense, which is the way that YouTube was able to disrupt video um, and give everybody the opportunity to become their own video content creator. Um, Clubhouse has that same propensity to do an audio. And it's not just a distribution, it's also the type of content, right? And so... In video, it used to have to be super produced and you had to have certain distribution to be successful and certain access. Um, and now we're all watching iPhone videos and TikToks and that's acceptable consumption to us, you know? And I think in audio, you have a very similar model with radio and with podcasting, but there's still very few who win, very like really big. And it's still very produced and it's still, um, you know, recorded um, you know, in isolation and it's not dynamic and it's not community based. And so like what happens when conversations become the new kind of audio um, consumption and it's messy and it's deeply human. Um, so I'm excited about thinking about that. Um, but also how does that intersect with Web3 and communities and creators having full ownership? Um, and so how do you solve all that? I mean, I guess that's the big, pro that's the big idea, you know, why we we kill ourselves spending time thinking about these things. Um, but I'm super optimistic about where we're headed, I think, as Clubhouse. But I've, in general, I think I'm really excited about um, creators having more consciousness about their value, um, you know, to platforms and to, you know, the broader um, creator atmosphere. No, I love no, it. I love it. I, I, think, I think I want to pivot the conversation a little bit to how honestly we can help you all right and hopefully this is okay <laughs> so you know really as we close out this this first half of the of this particular segment so i'm looking to figure out how when i say we like everyone listening across all these platforms and we'll continue to listen to it afterward and, and kate i'll start with you like where are you going how can people help Well, our big thing is hashtag support local creators. I mean, if we talk about one of the greatest, the, the biggest things that we've come to understand in working with our creators, we had, you know, over a hundred creators sign up for our platform in the first 90 days ahead of any platform launch. And 96% of them said it was because they believe they can be more successful with the support of a local platform. So even in this age where you can have universality on these major, you know, streaming platforms, the idea of giving these creators a community close to their home is still very valuable. And we're, we're really out here to prove that, right? We're out here to prove that on both the consumer and the creator side. 
So I think the way that the other thing that you can do, in, in, and when we say support local creators, is understand that there really is still a huge learning curve with creators. Creators have historically always had a sell all your stuff and maybe you can have a chance to make some money or, you know, be the starving artist type of type of mentality. And we have the opportunity to completely change that. As Maya mentioned, we have the opportunity to actually have like a middle class structure and ecosystem. But two things have to happen. One, we have to help creators understand that, yes, it's about creating your, uh, uh, it's about, you know, protecting your IP, but it's also about understanding how to activate it, right? So when we talk about NFTs and Web3, that's activating your IP. Well, we can meet creators where they're at, having them understand that the application for that is selling tickets to a live event, have a meetup that, you know, the, the consumer wants to know, you know, how the, the content is made, engaging that consumer earlier and activating your IP and using the tools to do that will set so many more creators up for success. So understanding that there's a learning curve and for the people that are consuming content, get more involved and more engaged in what those creators need to just help them get that flywheel going. Nice, nice. Uh, Maya, I want to um, kick it to you for, for this one. And I, I, yeah, I mean, I really agree with Kate. I love that. I was taking, I was literally taking, I was like, Ooh, that's good. Ownership and activation. Um, I, you know, I think for us, um, listen, the last 18 months of Clubhouse have been, it's been an insane roller coaster, you know? Um, what I really ask for of people is like patience and grace, like as we build. Um, and I think as these things emerge, I think we, we live in a culture today, which is like, it's in, it's not, it's over, it's dead, it's this, it's that. And it's like great things take time. Um, to build and require patience um, and also just require like investment, you know? And so I know for myself, like I spent a ton of time on our own, in our own community every day. I was in a room till like two o'clock in the morning last night. I was like, what the hell am I doing in this room at two o'clock in the morning? I have to go to work tomorrow. Um, but it's like, it, we're learning and we're building this together. And so we are a company that builds in public. We like to build transparently. Social audio allows for that because you can talk directly to people as they're using um, the technology. And so we ask for feedback, like how can we be better, you know, root for us, help us figure out how we do this and be patient as we build. Um, because I think in success, we can create so many opportunities for people to be successful, to make money, to make a living. Um, but we really want to do this as a collective um, because I, I think we understand we're not sophisticated enough as our own team to figure it out and that really the innovation and the best creativity comes from the people and the creatives who are using the platform. And so um, we want to have just like an open dialogue about it um, because it's exciting. Um, and I think that's where like the best work comes from is through collaboration. I love it. I love it. And yeah, um, I would just say I love connecting with founders and people that are creating and people that are innovating. Um, so if you're a creator out there, a founder, please reach out to me. I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, I can drop my social handles. I don't know. Is there like a chat box or something? Or should um, I just say it? Yeah, just say it. Okay, you can find me on LinkedIn, Deja Walker. You can follow me on Instagram at Deja, just my first name. And yeah, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. So before we kind of go back to even to, to Kate and Maya, just for, you know, how people in contact or, or, or follows the work you're doing, I want to quickly just, just share. And I think, JJ, you, you started off with the, the the talk around, you know, Web3. Right. And so I think. Being in 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 the in the entertainment space, so my original starter was in entertainment, like hearing people in this particular space talk about it, the technology as it's still relatively new is like a dream come true for me. Like we're. I mean, tons of education has to happen for a lot of different people across a lot of different spaces. But to hear people in this space talk about it and getting on the trends and kind of being a part of the train before or the rocket ship before it kind of takes off is an amazing opportunity. And you all will be creating many more opportunities, I think, for the next generation of people, people who are probably in middle school right now. So just know that you all are having an impact on people again that are that are probably 12, 13, 14 years old, people that are 20 something years old, people in their 30s. So you all are the 
are are the 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 expression of a lot of dreams of a lot of people uh, that have been in this space for the past ten years or so. That's one thing. Um, but two, before we go into that, I do want to kick it back to Kafer quickly. How can people get in contact with you, follow the work you're doing, and stuff like that? And then we'll go to Maya. Cool. Yeah, I want to talk about Web3. Now, um, people can find Loco Plus uh, on Instagram at GoLocoPlus is our social handle across all uh, platforms. Uh, you can sign up for Loco Plus. We just launched. Um, so we have our first users. Uh, GoLocoPlus.com is where you sign up. We also have our apps now available in iOS and Android. Um, creators. We'd love to have you. Uh, we are, um, we sit in between the user generated platforms and the premium streaming services. So we do have a submission process. We're just doing quality control. Um, and then you go live on our platform. And we like to say Netflix in the front, YouTube in the back. So you have kind of a curated experience of the content you're consuming and the creators you're discovering. But the creators have independent management of their channel of their creative IP and of their monetization. So we love for creators to sign up. Right now we are only in Atlanta. So we are launching in Atlanta. I think everybody on this platform knows, knows why. Uh, and then we will, we will look to scale uh, beyond. Um, so we're excited to have our subscribers and our creators meet at Loco Plus. Amazing. Um, yeah, we are Clubhouse on all socials. We actually just launched on TikTok today. So if you're a big TikToker, check us out there. Um, and, um, you know, download Clubhouse. Um, check it out. I think what's really interesting about it is it's a place where you can come and have real-time conversations about anything. Your phone is your microphone. Um, and you can go live and you can participate. You can listen. You can be as engaged as you want to be. Um, every day we have some more than 700,000 rooms being created a day and people are spending up to 70 minutes a day on the app. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, and I think the reason people love it is because it's real human connection. It's not about likes. It's not about trends. It's not about hashtags. It's about what do you have to say? And you come as yourself because you're in your purest form, which is your voice. Um, and so if you want to check us out, follow us on Clubhouse, download the app, go to clubhouse.com for more information. I am Maya Watson on Twitter and I'm Maya.j on Instagram. And you'll see me talking about Clubhouse because that's how I spend most of my time. Um, and my 16 year old daughter and life in Atlanta because it's wonderful, which is great. Awesome. 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 I love it again. And welcome. Welcome to Atlanta. Yeah. Kate, we got it. We got to we got to uh, welcome her, and thanks for choosing choosing ATL. So, so yeah. So, thank you all, Kate, Deja, Maya. Thank you all for for your contributions to moving the culture forward to to the work you're doing for 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 doing the impossible, following your dreams to build, scale, and to impact. And so, uh, thank you. And more important, thank you all for spending some time with us us today taking some time out of your extremely busy schedule we i truly appreciate it thank you all a ton we're going to bring up the next set of guests to the stage in a second um but before that we want to take a few minutes to uh, kind of talk about the reasons that we're here today right and so one is to kind of raise money for goody nation so you can donate to goody nation by texting good stories to 70 70 70 um, it's all an effort to help us scale our impact in 2022, really and beyond. And so we've been going for quite a few hours today. I mean, seven hours and in 30 minutes, essentially. And so we're going to keep on rocking and rolling. And so looking forward to these these next set of guests uh, to talk about, you know, the work they're doing in the space around media and events and things of that nature. So I'm going to bring these brothers to the stage. We got uh, Mike here and, and Jeff, and uh, we're going to have a good conversation. Um, and so we'll start off by uh, really getting to know who you all are and, and, and really what, what you're working on. So first and foremost, uh, going to kick it to Mike for a quick intro. So name, name of the organization, your company, your role, uh, a little bit about the company and then where you're checking in from. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Mike Jordan is my name. I am the editor-in-chief of Atlanta-based media company, Butter ATL. 
Um, we are Atlanta's Culture Channel. We uh, provide content in various different channels, but most folks probably are mainly familiar with the Instagram channel that was launched uh, around 2017, but really took off in 2018. Uh, so we're about 111,000 followers deep. We are about the city. We love the city. We have an engaged and very, very opinionated, but very, very involved in, and very, very much loving the city like Atlanta, like we do audience. And so we invite everyone here. If you're not familiar with Butter ATL, you can follow us at Butter ATL on Instagram. That's butter.atl. Uh, and also we're butteratl.com. But my job as editor in chief is, you know, helping to make sure that we are putting the most valuable, uh, not just content, but uh, context around the greatness of the city of Atlanta and how we are a global epicenter of culture and information and business and all of the things. There it is. There it is. You saw why we why we invited him out. I mean, you talk about culture. We got to start in Atlanta. We got to go to Atlanta's Culture Channel, which is Butter ATL. So I'm actually make about to make a very bad kind of transition. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. We talk Mike Jordan. I, know, I can feel it coming. I, I, feel, it. I, feel, I always know it's coming. It's yeah, always. we got to go to Chicago. We got to go to Chicago. <laughs> so I want to kick it over to Jeff. So Jeff, you know, from the Windy City, you know, yes, talk sir. a little bit about your company and, uh, and stuff like that. Yes, sir. How everybody, I hope everybody's doing amazing. Uh, my name is Jeff Osuji. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Eventwar. Uh, we are the next Black ticketing platform that's super serving Black creators and Black events, essentially where Black events and uh, culture intersect. And so I'm calling in from Chicago, Illinois. Um, Love Atlanta was just there a couple of weeks ago. And I think we also know kind of what Chicago is bringing to uh, the culture from music, uh, arts, fashion, etc. But for us, it's really about reinvesting into the Black creator economy uh, and making sure that creators are getting a piece of uh, what they're owed based upon their contributions to the culture. So we help uh, event creators get a percentage of their service fees that we kick back to them, which enables them to scale their event businesses. So we partner with over 1,500 event creators throughout the country um, and just looking forward to continuing to build uh, with the return of events post-COVID. So. There it is. There it is. And so this without without spoiling the thunder of the, of the next guest in terms of what they do, when you think culture, there's a few different things you think about with this, what this 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 brother that's partnered working on is, is a huge part of it. So I met him about about a year ago and change. And it's one of those things, you know, I, I said this for a few founders earlier um, in, 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 in the day, like, yeah, that one right there is going to be doing some interesting things moving forward. So we want to kick it to you for for a quick intro and also see where you're checking in from. Oh man, Joey, you uh, you set the bar a little bit high. I don't want anybody to be disappointed. You got a level set, keep it real low, and that way when I come in, it's always going to be <laughs> better than advertised. But um, appreciate the intro. I'm I'm Bimo Gogomu. Uh, I'm calling in from Austin, Texas, uh, by way of Houston. I always got to rep the H. Um, and I'm co-founder and CEO of a company called Trade Block. Um, so if it wasn't obvious by the sneakers behind me, and I think you see kind of. MJ's shoes peeking down from the poster. Um, one of my favorite little uh, posters there. Um, basically, we built a platform that allows sneaker collectors to trade with one another. Um, so me and my two co-founders, we've been in the sneakers since kind of late 2000s. We all used to work retail. And, you know, anybody who knows about the sneaker game knows that in the past five or so years, the resale market has just gone absolutely bonkers. Um, where, you know, for, for those of y'all that are kind of uninitiated in sneakers, Nike and Adidas and these companies, they'll do these, you know, very exclusive releases where there's only like 10,000 pairs, but a million people want them. So what happens is whoever gets their hands on them, then list them in the resale market for often, you know, two, three, four times what the re retail price was. And so, you know, we saw a couple trends that we really wanted to tap into. One was like, there's a lot of collectors who love shoes and have been passionate for them about them for a long time, but who had essentially been priced out of the market. Um, and then the other thing we saw was like, man, if you've been, you know, collecting shoes for a while, almost everybody had dozens of pairs of, you know, what we call dormant inventory, like shoes you bought years ago, never rocked or maybe rocked once or twice that you kind of forget, forget about and they just gather dust in your closet. So our thing was like, man, what if we could unlock the value of all your old inventory and then rather than paying resale prices, allow you to actually use your kicks as currency and put up a shoe for another shoe. Um, so on TradeBlock, you kind of build a public profile with your closet, you know, the shoes you have and then a wish list of the shoes you want. 
And then almost like fantasy sports, you can either send out offers or field offers from other folks and uh, negotiate. And so you come to a trade that both parties think are fair. Um, and then we middleman the whole process. So, you know, both parties ship to us. Uh, we make sure everything is legit and authentic. Um, we do a quality control check. And if everything is good, the shoes swap to their new owners. And, you know, you secure Grail and pay basically service fee plus shipping. There it is. There it is. There it is. So, so you all can see why we, you know, combined with the people from the, from the guests from the previous part of this segment, you can see why this is so powerful. You know, Mike, I want to, I want to kick it to you. We talk about the culture. I mean, you know, you've been in this space for a minute, you know, on the journalism side, just in, just in the space in general. When I say culture, like, what does it mean to you? And, and why, 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 why do you all say that Atlanta is the, the culture epicenter of the world? Well, uh, it if you've been around Atlanta and even if you were in the Southeast and around Atlanta, for instance, I'm not an Atlanta native and I'm always happy to admit that and defer to Atlanta natives on supreme voice of what happens. But I've been here since 1995 to attend Morehouse. So I tell people I'm pre-Freaknik, I'm pre-Olympics. I lived here longer than I lived in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama. I love this city. And, you know, I've got a lot of ties to a lot of things that develop culturally. So if you were around the Southeast, any of the last few decades, you've seen Atlanta grow its cultural impact, not just in the state, but again, the region. And then you saw it nationally as outcasts, you know, oh, my own wrong side, there we go, as they, uh, as they became, you know, a thing. And they become such a thing now where I always tell people, you know, the gentrification kid of Atlanta comes with an outcast t-shirt. That's not to speak ill of outcasts <laughs> at all, it's to say that they are so now embedded in if you come to Atlanta and you need, uh, you know, street credibility, you need your, you know, cool, cool points. There's no better way to make sure that you're falling in line authentically than outcast. Now you see trap culture in France. What was the movie about like the guy on Apple TV? It was like about sommeliers and then like open with like a black guy going to sommelier school and they're playing French trap music. You know, like in Asia, they're doing a lot of things that originated from black culture here in Atlanta. So you see it now. And it took a little bit of progression. But as you see this happen, you look at the city and you say, well, we shouldn't need to say the South has something to say much longer. You're now stealing from us and saying what we said first. But now we just need to amplify our own voices in the ways that traditional media cities have done. So a lot of people look at Atlanta and they say, oh, it's not a serious media city, uh, even though we have CNN here and we have other uh, media companies. But it's not a New York and it's not a Los Angeles. We know this. But what it has is the story. And so much of the stories are coming out of Atlanta. We just need to have the cameras, the people who understand how to handle the telecommunications, those tech positions. We are building an infrastructure to capture all of this originated content here in the city. So that's why I love it. We're in a place where things are originating. We're in a place where the soul of America is really being, you know, mostly, you know, it's it's coming from here. The energy, the vibes, the sounds, the looks, everything's coming from here. So it's an, it's on us, the people who have seen it, the people who've put some elbow grease into it, and the people who understand the history is going to foretell the future. We have to be telling the stories, and we can't turn those stories over to London, New York, L.A., Chicago, no disrespect, all great cities, but Atlanta is the go the global cultural capital of the world. Nice, 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 nice. And so, Jeff, I want to you know kick it to you. I mean, you are working with so, so so your customers are those who are doing a major part to move the culture forward through their events, right? And so, I know that supporting them is important to you. So, how is culture and supporting them like like why is that so important? Well, if you think about it, there's no better way to experience culture, especially black culture, than through events. Uh, well, I know Mike was talking about things such as a freak Nick, whether you're down at NBA All-Star Weekend, whether you're at an HBCU homecoming. Uh, and, you know, COVID really showed us that there was really no replacement for interpersonal reaction and experiences. And so what I found in my 20 years of, of being an event curator um, is that an event promoter wasn't just somebody that hosted events. We were people that brought people together to experience life. People were getting married at my events. People were getting jobs from meeting somebody at my events, right? But I also realized a couple of other things. We didn't own the venues that we were hosting these events at, and they were making millions of dollars. Uh, we didn't own the liquor brands that were making millions of dollars off of the culture. 
and so what we found was an opportunity to vertically integrate and create a platform for curators uh, by curators uh, that would also allow us to be able to take advantage of some of the profit share from ticket fees. Uh, and when you look at some of the major event platforms out there, they're doing an amazing job of, of super serving curators from a general perspective. But I know how many of my friends would travel to New York, Chicago, Atlanta and say, look, where can I go to see black people like myself and find black events? Uh, so what you see is that these event platforms are oversaturated. They made it easy to create events, but not easy to create cultural experiences. And that's what Eventwar is looking to do. Uh, we're also looking to democratize brand partnerships and really empower event curators who were hit the hardest by the pandemic. Uh, but as we see the return of events, we see the opportunity to make sure that they're scaling their businesses, that they're healthy, uh, that they're learning about things such as event insurance and, and how they can protect their businesses, as we all know what happened with, with the Astro World concert. Uh, but again, if you look at folks who are at the center and, and epicenter of culture, you think about artists, um, musicians, you think about event promoters who have the ability to bring people together. And as we know, if you can move people, you can move the world. Uh, and so we're building this ecosystem and just also helping Black people and people who are lovers of Black culture connect to Black experiences globally. Nice, 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 nice. But I want to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit just because I want to dig into a, a little bit of user persona for you, right? Share You share a little bit about, you know, people have stuff in the closet, been collecting dust. But what does the average user look like? I mean, where are they based physically? Um, you know, what do they look like from a ethnic, a gender, all kind of like what what is that? What is your what does your user look like? Man, um, that's actually a I'd say a beautiful question, because I would say the the user today, um, especially like the, the sneaker game has gotten so much more diverse. So I think the first thing that you have to do is say, hey, this is a culture like many cultures that was established by people of color, you know, like five, 10 years ago, you know, our user, 80, 90% of them would have been black or Hispanic, um, probably, you know, late teens to kind of early to mid thirties. Um, some cats who have really been in the game, the OGs are in their forties now, but really with StockX and GOAT coming on the scene, I think what they've done is for better or for worse, introduced a much wider swath of people to sneaker culture. So I think this is most evident when you actually pull up to like a sneaker con, um, one of the big things for us, you know, from from day one was, hey, we need to be kind of out in the wild boots on the ground. Like we would go to sneaker cons. And one of the things that always kind of stood out to me was like, man, those big brands didn't have any presence there. Um, you would never see somebody from StockX or go pulling up to sneaker con. So one of our things was like, let's be present and not just send, you know, a brand ambassador. Like, let's have our leadership team go there, shake hands, have conversations um, but when you go to a sneaker con, I think one of the things that hits you immediately is like, damn, age, race, all of those things, incredibly diverse. Um, I think the thing that stands out to a lot of people is, you know, quite frankly, you'll see a lot of like kids, eight, nine, 10 years old, like walking around with shoes up in their hands. Like the kids oftentimes are actually the most savage deal makers too, because they have, you know, like, you know, no social anxiety around kind of getting their price or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I think for us, it's it's really trying to capture that full diversity and make sure everybody feels like they can be kind of a unique and, um, you know, contributory part to the community, while also making a point that, hey, all of this stuff only exists because people of color were passionate about this thing and, and made it cool. Um, I always think of this, uh, this episode of The Office when I have these sorts of conversations, for all y'all who watch The Office, there's that episode where Dwight kind of creates a gym in the office and there's like a cut scene where he's like, yeah, everybody knows to make something cool, you got to get all the black people to come first. <laughs> and then he's like, then you got to figure out how to make them leave. But um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the reality. Um, and one of the things for me that's really been super meaningful is I can't tell you how many times we pull up to an event and have people who are like, oh, y'all are trade block? Like, I already thought this was super dope, but I'm shocked that it's three young black dudes who mm. founded this company. Like I'm just so used to the CEOs and executives of these companies being white guys from Stanford or from mm -hmm. New York or like 
oh, wow, like one of your best friends is the owner of the Cavs. Like, well, that's really convenient to get you started. So, yeah, I think that's that's been the most meaningful, meaningful thing for me is just being able to to represent the people who I think kind of represent the quintessential culture and allow them to be seen. Um, maybe, you know, part of the conversation is going here, but I also think it's just such an incredible opportunity to introduce these folks to, to the worlds of, of sort of like business, economics, and tech. It's like, hey, all of these things really intersect on this thing you're already passionate about. And you actually probably know a lot more about business and these sorts of things than you realize because you're tracking trends of prices on shoes. And, you know, if we can help build that bridge to be like, look, you know, you're, you're basically speculating on assets. Like this is what the guys on Wall Street are doing just with a different asset class. I think it's just a, a powerful opportunity to really reveal to people, you know, stuff that they're already you know, maybe more familiar with than they would give themselves credit for. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, actually, I want to I want to uh, um, double down on that. I'm gonna kick it to you, Mike, around the opportunity to support diverse founders that are in this culture space. But before I do that, actually, I want to I asked you around the people I asked you around the, the, the question around the user persona for a reason. And hopefully, um, you know, my wife is not actually watching this at the moment, but I spent too, really too much money during the pandemic. Uh, buying um rare sneakers and stuff like that i don't think she's actually seen them come in the, the mail but that actually has happened probably like 10 pair anyway are, so, are they in your trade block closet though you know so here's the thing again so the user persona right they, the short answer is no but here's the thing like i'm trying to i don't even really know what to do with them do i wear them do i not right. wear them because they're they cost so much money i mean i'm not really that persona i'm like uh midlife crisis i saw these i had these i wanted these shoes when i was 12 years old now I got the actual money to pay for instead of asking my my parents. You know what I'm saying? Um, so actually, that's what I wear. Maybe I, I I don't even know. So again, but I don't. I feel like I'm not your user persona, like your your typical one. At least not the moment. But I will be. I will be creating an account pretty soon. I think I'm going to put some up there and see what I can get. All right, let's 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 pivot the conversation um, to the the opportunity to, to support you know, diverse founders that are in the, the, the culture space. Mike, what is, how, what, what do you think about this? Um, I, I'm, I'm big on it. I mean, I've been here long enough to see some people who I interned with grow up and become millionaires and be very successful in all sorts of endeavors. So I believe in, you know, not to just pull it back into Atlanta, but I believe in, again, this city and the wider South and everywhere where there are, you know, black, where there are representations of black excellence in, you know, culture to shine. Um, I think on the supporting black founders things and, and, and founders of color, whatever we're calling them, I think there's supporting them in ways that they need support. And that can mean multiple things. That can mean on my side of the table, there's, you know, news coverage. There is, I've got a launch a product that I've got coming out, this new platform, this new, um, you know, this this new good or service that I'm putting on the market. So there's certainly ways because a lot of times, you know, our folks, whether it's access to capital, many of the other roadblocks that keep us from, you know, being right there and having the opportunity to find success and or fail on the way to success, you have to kind of meet them where they are and you look for opportunities to support. So it starts with the intention of I am looking for opportunities to support you know, historically underprivileged people who are going forward in entrepreneurial endeavors. That's a beautiful thing to do. Another side of that is being, and, and in our culture, there's somewhat of a, of a consigliere kind of thing that happens when you're in media and you've covered a bunch of things. You, you kind of become an advisor of sorts. You can tell folks because you've seen it before. You've seen a lot of origin stories You've, you've, you've seen people be successful. You've seen people fail. You've seen people come back. You've seen people not come back. So you can kind of give people a heads up on sometimes. Um, I cover everything from business to technology to food. A lot of people think I'm one of the other. They're like, oh, Mike is a food writer. It's like, well, it's deeper than that. Well, Mike is this. Well, is that? Well, Mike writes real estate. He did curb for two. Well, I did all that. But I'm a culture writer more than anything. Because culture is the place of intersection where all of these different, you know, story subjects come together. Without some type of culture, you see it all over the generic signs that are in a lot of, you know, startup offices, you know, culture and everything. But the truth is, culture has to be honest with itself as well. So my thing is always letting people know where are you ready for the type of media 
positioning that you're asking for. You know, and so I don't want to be the person who, when you come back to me and say, hey, you know, Mike, I, we really like I, I thought I'd get to read what you were writing about us first. No, that's not how media works. But you know, <laughs> there's some there's some of that that goes on as well. There's the ability to pull someone's coat and say, hey, you know, I, I saw someone do what you did once. And here's kind of what happened. Now, of course, you don't get in the middle of the story, but I'm always happy to be of some type of service, you know, like we can always get a beer and I could say, Hey, here's what I think about what you're doing. Um, you know, and here's what you might want to do as a media strategy as far as going forward and getting a little bit more eyes and ears on it. So it's, it's being involved in all levels. Black media specifically does a lot more to support black entrepreneurship and black founders and everything else than people give it credit for. So mm. also the last thing I'll say is it's a two way street. We need to support our black media. We need to support our mm. black journalists and editors we need to be in touch with them and not always look for the story in Wired or Fast Company or Axios or anywhere else and no disrespect to any of them. But we should be looking home and looking for where we can find family and familiar places, spaces and interests in order to get our stuff off the ground because we grow together. No, that's real. That's real. That's real. I mean, that's a whole there's a whole, I think, other side conversation around, you know, validation and stuff like that uh, for founders and things of that nature. I think what, what might be interesting, what what does it look like? And I want to just this is kind of as a, this is an example before we go to Jeff. Like what might it look like if, you know, Butter ATL's followers became trade block users, if the attendees from Event Noir you know, became trade block users and stuff like that. I mean, you know, so there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities to, to, to kind of cross kind of market, so to speak, for like a better way to describe it. Yeah. But, Butter, and Butter was here for that. That's the good thing about us is that we are here to support the community of folks who are founding and going after, you know, the dreams and it's stuff that's awesome anyway, that our people should want to know about. They do want to know about. So that's exactly what the difference is, I would say. And of course I'm biased, but the difference between Butter and your other average media sources is that we are actually invested in the culture. We want each other to succeed. We want to come back to you next year, next month, next cycle of fundraising to say, hey, this is what we're doing. Again, we're always happy to support what you're doing at Goody Nation. And, you know, with the other two gentlemen, Event Noir and, you know, trade, like we, we're here for all of it and we want all of us to be involved. So, yeah, that's that's what we do. There it is. There it is, Jeff. I mean, we have a, and we have a few minutes left. I mean, you know, Jeff, you were just at the Revolt Summit. You did an awesome pitch there. I mean, you saw, I think, you know, what might it look like to take awesome, diverse founders and put them in experiences um, where there are people from the culture there, like the, the typical people that are not typically in the tech startup space. So so, so the question here to you is, you know, similarly is what is the opportunity to support diverse led founders in the culture space? Well, it's huge. And Mike really touched on a little bit. There's a huge opportunity for us to network horizontally. I think oftentimes we're looking for validation outside of our community and we don't realize that we are enough. Um, you know, I talk to enough people outside of our community that just don't understand why we would need our own platform or understand how we get in the spaces where black people aren't always celebrated and how we sometimes just feel like we're being tolerated. So it's an opportunity for us to really leverage all of our uh, individual followings and see how we can collaborate more. Um, I think that Goody Nation is doing an excellent job of bringing founders together. Um, I think that there's an opportunity for us to really sit down and, and, and hammer out a systemic way that we can all support each other's brands because we are enough. And when there was segregation, um, you know, back in the day, what you did see was the rise of a lot of entrepreneurs because we were forced to do business with each other. And what I see with a lot of older entrepreneurs, there's two personas for Event Noir. Um, there's an older Black community, professional organization. Shout out to Jack and Jill of Atlanta and my wife in the background. Um, and so for us, Jack and Jill of Atlanta hosts an event. And we, the conversation we had was, look, oh, Black platform founded by Black folks. For us, the keeping the, the money within our community, oh, it's done. Um, I think that as we are, you know, the younger generation, you know, we ask questions. Hey, OK, tell me more about the technology. Tell me more about this. We have to figure out a way to be extremely intentional about supporting the businesses that come from our community, right? Um, and and if we do that, we're all going to be successful, or most of us are going to be successful. So the opportunity one is figure out how we can support each other, we can be each other's customers, and then two, see how we can reinvest back into our communities. And so a goal of the Wars is to reinvest a million dollars back into Black creators annually. Uh, HBO launched Seen in Black, Netflix has 
um, you know, their, um, you know, focus on, on black creators. The world is starting to see the value of black creators. We have to see it first. All right. And we have to make sure that we capture some of that value from that. Mm. Powerful. I know, Bima, you have any thoughts? And then also, how can people get in contact with you? Oh, yeah. And I will say, if, you know, follow us at Event Noir HQ on, on Instagram. I'm Jeff at EventNoir.com. So thanks. Yeah, there it is. Awesome. Yeah, man. Um, so many thoughts on this front, but uh, I'll try to boil it down to a few things. Um, I, I think for me, where I start is is uh, helping young people of color be aware of opportunities. Um, before I was in the startup world, I was working in the design program at IBM. And, um, you know, I spent some of my free time basically trying to um, sort of bootstrap a program to diversify our hiring pipeline for designers. And one of the things that, you know, you would just see over and over and over again was you'd have a black candidate who literally didn't know being a professional designer wasn't a thing until like their second to last year of college, right? And now they're like, oh, I'm gonna go to General Assembly. I'm gonna try to do all these things to upskill myself. But the reality is a lot of the kids they're competing with, like they've known about these opportunities since sixth or seventh grade. And so they've had a lot more time to sort of prepare themselves for them. So I think that's one thing not only to the to the kids, I think what we found is it's almost more important to help educate parents because a lot of parents are like, oh, my son said he wants to be a designer. You know, traditionally, it's like, oh, I hear artists and I hear you're never going to make any money. And then I tell this parent like, yo, our entry level designers at IBM, you know, never make less than 70K. And they're like, wait, what? So I think it's it's making people aware of those opportunities earlier. I think number two is how do we help, you know, people of color tell their stories in more compelling ways? Like, I think one thing that I see in almost, you know, every candidate from an underserved community is they're hungry and the level of hustle that they are, you know, willing to put out there to get stuff done. Oftentimes from a hiring perspective, like I care way more that you came up with some super creative way to fund this event or to get people there than I do about how good was your kind of design on the flyer, right? And I think oftentimes we do ourselves a major disservice trying to fit our own experiences into a box or resume, you know, because that's what people have told us versus nah, like how do I communicate that I'm a beast and like whether or not my skills still have some room for improvement, you're gonna get way more value out of me because I'm gonna work way harder, I'm way hungrier and I'm more willing to work outside of the box to, to get stuff done. Um, so those are two big things for me. And then finally, man, uh, I love what y'all were, were just saying. I think I think sometimes we get a bit of a, a crab in a barrel mentality. And then unfortunately, I think sometimes it's actually like exacerbated by stuff like tracking diversity investments on Crunchbase. It's like, really, are we gonna, we're gonna look at a number and a proportion? Like, I, I guess it's useful to know to try to vet a VC, but I think, Oftentimes, how that manifests itself is Black founders are like, dang, if John gets that funding, you know, that's going to be the, the diversity investment for the year. And now that's an opportunity I'm losing out on. And something I've been really, really thinking about more is like, there's something so powerful in building strong networks of Black founders who all rock with each other. Like, I have a, a couple of Black founders who I rock with here in Austin, who I've known since, you know, since before we were building businesses. And let me tell you, if we post a picture on Twitter with the four or five of us and tag all of our companies, people take notice. And I think it it elevates the perceived value of everybody in that group because investors aren't just investing in individual companies. They're trying to find extremely talented networks of founders. And so they're like, man, I already liked your business, but now I know you rock with all these other guys who, one, are going to level you up because you're surrounded by people who are pushing you. But two, I might get an opportunity to invest in some of these other companies. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us for us to really, you know, tap into that solidarity. Um, and yeah, I think raise the profile and kind of perceive value of everything we're doing. So that would be my take on it. By the way, um, you can follow us on Instagram at tradeblock.us. Uh, also, tradeblock.us is our website. Um, and the app is available for download in both the Android and Apple um, app stores. Awesome. 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 Mike, want to come to you just for quick final words? Yeah. Be dope. I mean, you know, the culture is always about representing yourself authentically. I mean, there's no real true definition for 
the culture. You know it when you see it. It recognizes itself when it shows up. So show up as yourself and, you know, be who you are. But don't expect that to be the only thing that you end up being and needing to be. Be dope. Be un be unreplaceably dope. Irreplaceably dope. I'm an editor. I really shouldn't have said unreplaceably. <laughs> We're going to act like that didn't come out of my mouth. I got a pen right here. I just scratched that out. But anyway, Butter ATL. It's at butter.atl on Instagram, which is where the majority of our big crowd is. We are now at butteratl.com. Sign up for our newsletter. It is awesome. I know because I edit it. We are also all over the interwebs and the nets and stuff like that. You can follow me specifically at Michael B. Jordan on Twitter. And yes, at Michael B. Jordan on Twitter. That's my name. I thank you very much. But uh, yeah, just follow Butter and, you know, come to Atlanta. Holler at us when we're here. Make dope things happen. Tell us about them. We'll share the word. There it is. Appreciate y'all, fellas. It's been an awesome conversation, a good hour talking about the culture. Mike, Butter, ATL, we appreciate y'all. Jeff, BMO, do your thing. We appreciate y'all as well. I'm going to get that trademark account tonight. I got you. As soon as, I, as, soon as we end up. Cool. Already. Peace out, y'all. Appreciate y'all having me. Great, yes, great nice being on here with you, fellas. Good luck. Good nation. Give money. There it is. There it is. There it is. Nice little segue. Nice little segue. Thank you for tuning in to the Wild Relationships Matter podcast by Goody Nation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you were inspired, if you want to make a difference, if you want to close the relationship gap, please follow us at Goody Nation on all social media channels or log on to our website, goodynation.org. Peace.